Welcome to Reveal Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. All right, if you would reach for, the, for your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians with me to chapter 1 and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word, please. Stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1, and let's start in verse 11. And we'll read down a few verses and uh, see if we can't wrap up what we started a few weeks ago. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, and it reads like this. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the holy spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory father god we have read your word now open our spiritual ears that we may hear You speak as you see fit. You use me as a tool in your hands. You have me behind the cross. The only thing that's seen this morning is you and all of your glory. May you be glorified by what takes place in this place. This we pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. If you remember a few weeks ago, we started on what I had titled uh, the message to be the guarantee of inheritance, the guarantee of inheritance. And I think I told you that week that I wrote right at the very top of my notes. Today, we will finish the longest single sentence in the Bible. That was uh, four weeks ago, by the way, (laughs) that today was four weeks ago. We haven't finished that yet, but we started off, if you remember, we had gone through from the very first start of Ephesians since the time that I've been with you talking about several doctrines, doctrine of election, justification, predestination, redemption, uh, eternal inheritance is where we happen to wind up at now. So we're looking at the guarantee of that inheritance in light of all that we've studied up to this point in the book of Ephesians. We had a couple of three questions that came to mind when I looked at verse 13 and 14, where we happen to be at now, the last of what we just read. There was a couple of three questions that came to my mind as I read that. Before The very first question was, who receives that inheritance? We answered that question by backing up into verse 11. When it started, it said, in him. If you remember, we talked about being in him, being in Christ, being saved, being one of those that God has chosen to be one of his own, has called you into um, his family one of those have been predestined for something and and that something as we learned was according to the purpose of him or god who works all things according to his will so all the work of that who receives the inheritance if you remember is done by god it is god who calls it is god who gives you the faith to believe it is god who saves it is not the work of man it is the work of god in salvation and that's who receives the inheritance so we answer that first question of who receives the inheritance by saying it's those uh, who are in him we talked about two objective truths the fact that we were uh, chosen by god and we were predestined by god to to be that or predetermined by god to be chosen in in his son jesus christ to salvation to be a part of the family and those were objective truths we also looked at a subjective truth if you remember because we as humans we see the truth and we read the truth and we know the objective the imperative of what we should be but we all want to talk about how we feel how we feel we don't feel saved or we feel this or we feel that 
luckily we have a subjective way of also knowing that we are saved. We're one of the chosen. We're one that's selected and, and been chosen by God. And that's because you've been filled with the Spirit. And if you remember, we took an entire Sunday to talk about that fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the meekness, and the temperance. And we talked about those things that should come out of your life and be present in your life because of the infilling of that Holy Spirit. And that's that seal that he spoke to us about whenever he said you are sealed in verse 13 with the Holy Spirit. So if you ever have a doubt in your life about your salvation, look for the sealing of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that's, that's that group, that's that who receives. We move from there and said, okay, we re, we're the ones who receive the inheritance, but what exactly is that inheritance? You see, we're kind of like the ones who have a loved one that has a whole bunch of money and is on their deathbed and we're waiting to see what happens when the will is read or we a part of it. And in essence, we as, as God's children are looking for that inheritance. But remember that he said that uh, in verse 11, in him we also have obtained. That inheritance has already been given to you. Now, is it in full? Is all that he has given you present in your life now? Are you enjoying all of it? No. But it's all been given to you. It's been written into God's will, so to speak, and sealed with the Holy Spirit that that is your inheritance. And we talked about what it was. It was unimaginable. There was no way you could sit back and think about what God has given you in an inheritance and understand it this side of heaven. Just absolutely impossible. Your wildest dreams about what eternity will be will fall way short of what it actually is. So it's unimaginable. The couple of things the Bible tells us that it is is that it's incorruptible. And it's undefiled. There will be no corruption. There will be no defiling uh, in that inheritance in that, that time we spent with God. A couple of the things that he would give us would be that knowledge we will understand as we've never understood before. Because we will understand as Christ understands. And so we'll have that knowledge. We'll also be unblemished. How many of you are waiting for the day that sin no longer is present in your body. And you no longer have to wrestle with that sin. What are you looking forward to? You're looking forward to the day when, when there is no more sin present and you don't have to, to worry about that any longer. See, that's part of our inheritance, that glorification. You know, there's also going to be that rest, that rest. It's not like we're going to sit around on a cloud all day long listening to a piano play or singing lovely songs. The rest is the rest from that struggle in your life. Because if you really think about your life, the things that go on in your life is, is that spirit within you Struggling with that spirit of the world. The things that cause you the most unrest is your fight to do what is right, so to speak. Trying not to fall into that sin. Trying to be the, the holy person that you're supposed to be. And we will have that rest from that fight. And not only that, we'll have the fellowship with the saints. You know, we buried uh, Brother Ed Mills, Manly Mills, yesterday. Over here in the cemetery. It was kind of interesting. Got an opportunity to spend some time with Carolyn, his stepdaughter. And, and talked about uh, some things with her. And as we were wrapping up yesterday, she asked me a very interesting question. Her and her granddaughter were there and said, you know, Brother Ed was married to uh, one lady, Grace, I think it was, that passed away. And, and then he married Omi, who he called O. That was uh, Carolyn's mom. And, and she's buried over here in the cemetery and said, you know, we've often wondered, when you get to heaven, will you, will you know Will you know who everybody else is? And will you know who your husband or your wife was? Will you know who your children are? And that's one of the things that we think about. One of, the, one of the things that causes us sleepless nights sometimes is we wonder about those who have passed. Will we know them? And I think it's interesting. If you remember, I've already told you today. I told you last week when we talked. But we will know as we're known is what the Bible says. We will know as we're known. I think we will know those others. But here's the difference. 
that will no longer be our focus. See, here on earth, we're very focused on our relationships, especially with our husband and wife and our children and our family and even our church home. That is our focus. But see, our focus, even though we'll be fellowshipping with those saints that have gone on before, and I think we will know them and we will know them in fullness because our, our intellectual uh, standing, our thought process will be so much greater in the glorified body, that relationship will no longer be the focus. See, because the greatest thing of our inheritance is the fact that we're going to see Jesus Christ. We'll, hear, we'll inherit Jesus Christ in his fullness. You see, now you know him as your Lord and your Savior hanging upon a cross, but you know him from a distance. You know him of a distance of some 2,000 years physically. You know him in your heart because of what he's done. But now you see him as through dim glasses, as through a set of sunglasses. But when you get to heaven, the main thing about your inheritance is you're going to inherit Jesus. You're going to be just as Jesus is. That's our inheritance. So with all that said, as a run-in to today's message, we'll answer the third question. How should this inheritance affect us? How should knowing that you're one that is going to gain the inheritance because you're filled with the Spirit, knowing that that inheritance is beyond all imagination, how does it affect your life today? You see, because when you think about inheritance most times, you're thinking about the death of a person somewhere down the road and how it's going to change your life then. The difference being, God gave you the inheritance the day he saved you. That presence of the inheritance, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, the saving blood of Jesus Christ should make your life on this earth different. And if your life on this earth is no different than the day before you said you accepted Jesus Christ, then I would dare say you never accepted Jesus Christ. Because there comes a change. There is a new man. There is something different about your life. You don't win brownie points for showing up at church. You don't win brownie points for being part of Sunday school. You don't win brownie points for even sharing the gospel. The only thing that matters is your acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him really being Lord Jesus Christ. Not just Savior. Not just a person that punched your ticket on a bus to heaven one day. He truly has to be Lord of your life. And that's what Paul's driving at in Ephesians. So he talks about how this inheritance should affect us. Let's turn back to Romans 8. It's the greatest place in the Bible that he talks about this particular subject. Romans 8. Romans 8, starting in verse 1. He talks about us being free from indwelling sin. And this is present This is present in your life. It says this in verse 1 of chapter 8 of the book of Romans. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be uh, carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, 
Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in ye, you, he who raised Christ from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. There's a couple of things Paul says in that passage I hope you gripped. I hope you got a hold of. He starts off talking about being free from the indwelling sin. And in verse 2 he says this, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin. You see, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, sin should no longer be what reigns in your body. Sin should no longer be what drives your day. What drives your day is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That spirit that we talked about a few weeks ago that indwells you. What should set the course for your life and what you do in your daily walk should be the spirit of life, Christ, the Holy Spirit, not the spirit of death, Satan. You see, because God redeemed you from that spirit bondage when he purchased you with the blood of Jesus Christ and made you a new creation in Christ Jesus. And Paul's saying here, he's saying that you should be free from that bondage of sin. In verses 5 through 8, he tells us that our mind then, because of that, should be set on that spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, in verse 5, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, they set them, their minds on the things of the spirit. We should, in our life, be thinking spiritually every day. See, we tend to try to separate our lives out. We separate it out on a Monday through Saturday and a Sunday. And you know you do, because we all do. Monday through Friday, we're focused solely on what it takes to pay the bills and put a house over our head and food on the table and, and clothes on our bodies. Saturday, we try to pack as much fun and enjoyment in as we can, because Sunday, we got to go to church. <laughs> And that's generally the way we put it. We don't start off our week on Sunday saying, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to awaken that spirit. I'm going to fill my heart full of the word and joy and, and praise of God so that it carries me for the next six days being spiritually minded. We tend to reverse that. We start off on Monday focusing on what we got to do till Friday, praying that Friday hurries and gets here so we don't have to work anymore, so that we can run around all day Saturday doing the things we call enjoyment that so wear us out that Sunday morning we don't want to get out of bed. Think what the difference would be in your life if you couldn't wait to get out of the bed on Sunday morning, you wanted to be in God's house all day long, and you carried that joy with you the rest of the week. And see what Paul is saying here, he's saying quit being a concentrator of what the flesh wants, concentrate on what God wants. Because you're free from that indwelling sin. He also tells us in verse 10 and 11 that with that mindset, knowing you're free from, from the, the sin, knowing that your mind should be set upon the Lord, he says this in verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. So this body you're in, it's a dead body because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
Then he says these beautiful words. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Who raised Jesus from the dead? God, our Father. With all power, raised a dead man from the grave. Did you get that? Jesus was dead. D-E-A-D, dead. Not asleep, not slumbering, not hanging out, waiting for the next thing to happen. He was dead. And God reached down through the stone. He didn't roll the stone away so Jesus could get out. He reached down through the stone and said, It's time, my son, get up. He raised him from the dead. Why is that so important? Look what it says. But the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The same spirit that brought Jesus off of a slab in a tomb to life lives in you. He says, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And He's talking about life here, but He's talking about life eternal also. See, because we live in a body now that is inclined to sin, but that body under the control of the Spirit will reject that sin and do what is right, what is righteous, what is holy. That body, yes, one day will be laid in a grave dead. Just as Jesus was dead. For it says it's appointed to man to die. Unless the Lord steps out and calls me home, one day I will be laid in a grave dead. But that body that was filled with the Spirit that lived for Christ on this earth, one day will be called from that grave. One day will be called from that grave to be glorified, a new body in the presence of God. And he's saying this, that power that raised Jesus from the dead will one day raise you from the dead but until that day it's the same power that drives that body it's that spirit that you should be so focused on so he talks about the that we're free from the indwelling sin he also tells us in the verses that follow that and I won't read all of those I'll just commentate on them. but verse 12 he tells us this that that in uh, verse 12 he says therefore brethren we are debtors not to the flesh uh, to live according to the flesh in 13, he says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And he's talking about eternal separation from God, eternal death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live eternally. You will be alive in the flesh and alive eternally with, with Christ forever. For you see, God is our Father, he tells us down in In verse 14 of that same Romans 8, he says, For as many as were led by the Spirit of God that infills you whenever you are saved, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You see how God adopted us into the family? He's now our heavenly Father. So we're to live according to the Spirit. How does that play out in your life? Very quickly, I'm going to give you five points, and we'll get to the end of all these. If I have to just write them on a piece of paper and leave them up front for you to pick up. The first thing that should happen in your life, if you are filled with the Spirit, if you understand that Jesus died upon a cross for you personally, and you know that God chose you to be in his family, adopted you into the family, what is the first thing that should show up in your life? (laughs) Baptists need this above all else. You should be happy. 
I'll be honest with you, I stand up here this morning, and I'm not sure if I'm repeating the funeral from yesterday or if we're actually in church service. I don't see many people smiling. This isn't a service to beat you up. This is a service to lift you up. This morning, I hope you understand that you should be happy. You want to know why more people aren't attracted to God's church when they're lost? Do you want to know why lost aren't attracted to our churches? They really don't want what you've got because you don't act like you want it either. You really don't. Why do people show up at concerts and ball games and hoot and holler and have a good time? Because they're there and they're happy. We show up at church and we sit in the pew afraid that if we utter a single word, God's going to strike us with lightning. You know, Psalms tells us some very interesting things about your worship experience. And I might have just shot down those five points because this just came to mind. Psalm 33, I believe it is as I get there. Yes, Psalm 33 tells me this. It says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. He says, Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. He goes on to say, For the word of the Lord is right, and all of his work is done with truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Does that sound like our worship services? No. But he says, here's what you're to do. You're to praise God. And why? Because the word of the Lord is right. All of his work is done in truth. His love, righteousness, and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Yet we sit here acting like we just finished the most sour lemonade could ever be served to us on the way to church. We should be happy. How do I know for sure we should be happy? Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. The greatest place that it tells you to be happy, I believe, in the Bible, spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ on the longest sermon recorded in the Bible is, verse, is chapter 5, starting in verse 3. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount, I believe you would call it that, or the Beatitudes. It says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, it says there. It says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall attain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Does that look like our worship services? What does the word blessed mean? What does the word blessed mean? Marakios, I believe, is the way they pronounce that Greek word, Marakios. Marakios, if you were to actually translate it more literally than the word blessed, they tried to put it in nice scripture form, that word actually means happy. Everywhere you see the word blessed, you could see, you should be saying the word happy. So happy are the merciful, happy are the pure in heart, happy are the peacemakers, happy are those who are persecuted. Are you happy this morning? See, the first thing that should flow out from your body because you realize what God has done for you and what he has stored up for you for the future as well as now should make you happy. 
I look around our churches sometimes and realize we haven't got that message. It shouldn't also just make you happy. I think it should also make you very grateful. I think it should make you very grateful. Look with me back in the Thessalonians, back in the book of Thessalonians, back into the New Testament. First uh, Thessalonians, as a matter of fact, First Thessalonians chapter 5, right at the very end of it. Right at the very end of First uh, Thessalonians, as, as Paul's writing to that church at Thessalonica, he tells them this as he's ending this letter there in, uh, um, down about verse, uh, let's look at about verse uh, 16. About verse 16, it says this, Rejoice always, kind of tying in that happy part. He says, Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. And why should you do that? It says, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. Well, you look at me and say, Pastor Roger, you don't understand. I've had these health crises. How do I give thanks to God for these health challenges? Or my car's broken down. How do I give thanks to God for my car breaking down? My wife run out on me. How do I give thanks to God for my wife running out? I'll read this again. It says, in everything... Give thanks. Did you see the word for in there anywhere? It doesn't say for everything give thanks. It says in everything give thanks. What's the difference? You're not thanking God for the challenges. You're thanking God for being put in a position that changes your life in such a way you're more like Christ. You see, every challenge that comes your way has one purpose to mold you and conform you to be like jesus see if everything was happy go lucky how would you ever how would you ever reach out to that poor soul that tragedy has struck their life how could you ever side up with a lost person and say my god loves you if you've never felt the love of god in a challenge in your life You see, in everything that comes your way, you should say, God, I don't have any idea why this challenge has jumped all over me, but I do know this, you're still God. It doesn't change my relationship with you, so even through this challenge in my life, I give you praise. You should be thankful, should be grateful. You should also be patient. Flip on over towards the book of James, on over towards the book of James. It's just over a couple of pages there to the right, the book of James. And James says this in the very first chapter, in the, the first or uh, fourth verse. He says, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Let patience, let patience have its perfect work. What does it mean, patience, having its perfect work? Do you struggle with patience? I would dare say most men would say yes. <laughs> In in today's society, most all of us lack patience, and there's a reason. If we want to watch a show on TV, we can record it and watch it at our convenience. If we want to talk to someone, we don't have to wait to bump into them at the store. We pick up our cell phone, and we call their cell phone, and we talk to them immediately. If I want to get a message to someone, I can just type it out and send it to them in an email. It's there instantly. If I get hungry, if I'm at the house and I get hungry, I can walk over to something called a microwave. And what used to take 30 minutes to fix, I could do it 30 seconds in a microwave now. Everything's become instant, instant, except for God. God's not instant. There's timing in everything. If you ever walk through a challenge just wondering, when is this ever going to end? But when you get to the end, you look back, 
And you can see that every step of the way, God was molding you. He was changing you, preparing you for what was at the end. Had he had given it to you instantly, you'd have never been prepared to handle it. You've got to have patience. Matter of fact, in 2 Peter, in 2 Peter, on over towards the end of the Bible, just a couple of more pages, 2 Peter chapter 1, he says this to us in the fifth verse of chapter 1 of 2 Peter. He says, but also for this very reason, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To your virtue, you add knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. That word there could be translated patience. To patience, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does he say that we should have in our life to know Jesus fully? Patience. We should have patience. From that, he also tells us we should be content. So not only should you be happy, not only should you be grateful, not only should you be patient, but you should be content. This is a world that lacks being content. Nobody is happy with anything. They're always striving for the next thing. It's hard to remember the days that you would buy a vehicle and you'd drive it 20 years. It's hard to remember the days that you buy a house and when you're 70, 80, 90 years old, you're still living in the same house. It's even hard to remember when you get a job and you stay there long enough to retire from it. I would dare say that my generation has had more jobs than anybody in the world. I remember when, like my dad, he took a job, worked 30 some odd years and retired. You can't find a person my age now that's still got the first job that they got, their first career. Because we just can't be content. But you know, God tells us to be content. Matter of fact, in Philippians, in the, the book of Philippians, he tells us to, uh, to be content. He tells us in Philippians chapter 4, as soon as I get these pages unstuck together here, Philippians chapter 4. He says this in the 10th verse. He says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a best. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we all know that last verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what did he say right ahead of that? He said, no matter the difficulty, no matter the state that I'm in, that God has put me in, no matter the state that God has put me in, Paul says, whether I be abashed or whether I be humbled or whether I be 
abounding, whether I have everything. No matter which end of the spectrum, I've learned to be content. Because no matter what God puts me in, he has given me the strength to endure it and do just what he would have me do in that case. See, it's not good enough to say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me if you say as long as you give me what I want. It's not good enough to say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when I'm down and out, but the minute I have everything I want, I forget all about God. See, you have to understand, no matter where you're the poorest of the poor, the richest of the rich, it is Christ who has done it, it is God who has done it, and it's through those situations in your life that he most strengthens you to accomplish what he would have you accomplish. So whether you be in poverty or whether you be in wealth, you should be grateful and content at where God has you. We should also be content in the fact in Philippians 3, it says this to us, Philippians 3, 17. It says, Brethren, join in following my example. This is Paul writing. And note those who walk so as you have us for a pattern. So he's saying, Church, look at your leaders. Here's the pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are in the enemies of the cross of Christ. So he's saying, be careful. Don't follow those that are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He goes on to say, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. He said, so you've got a group of people that are following the earthly things in life. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He's saying you follow the ones that are chasing the world, it's ultimately death. He said, you look to your home heaven, realizing you're a pilgrim here, you're a visitor here, ultimately you're going to be living in heaven, and you look to heaven, and what is the ultimate goal? What is the ultimate glory there? It is glory. It is that earthly body being glorified to be conformed to Jesus Christ. See, we walk a world that gives us all kinds of trouble, but it's not our home. We should be looking across the Jordan. Saying, no matter what this world throws at me, there is a mansion built for me on the hills of heaven in the presence of my Lord Jesus Christ, who one day I will be like. This home can't throw anything at you that could dim the lights of glory. Nothing. So he's saying, be content with what you have. But lastly, I think he tells us this. He says, be sure. Be sure of what? Be sure that you're one of those who has an inheritance. For you see, the stories of these saints in the Bible, the stories of what God has in store for us, are no good if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that's what he's saying most of all. He's saying in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, he tells us this, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying this, don't play games with God. Don't play games with God. See, God knows your heart. He knows your heart and he knows whether or not the Holy Spirit indwells you and controls that heart.
He knows whether or not you're going through the motions of being a Christian. Billy Graham said, The greatest mission field in America today is within the church. He said, There's more people gathered on Sunday morning in one location lost than anywhere else in the whole of the United States. The greatest mission field is within the church. Because we've come to think of church attendance and doing the right thing and being on committees as our path to salvation. And it's not. Our path to salvation is a surety, a surety given to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The acceptance of that truth, that that is the only way to heaven, and knowing that we've accepted that because of the infilling of the Holy Spirit that flows out of your life in the things I listed for you this morning. For you see, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then what you do have in store for you is a place called hell. And that place called hell is the place that those are sent that choose not to receive the love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, God will let you go if that's what you choose. He is a God of love, absolutely. He's also a God of justice. He's also a God of grace because he doesn't give us what we deserve. And he's a God of mercy because he doesn't give us what we do deserve. But the ball's in your court. God's hung his son upon a cross for your sins. To place your faith in anything, anything short of that, is writing your ticket for a place called hell. And God will let you go if that's what you choose. To end in Romans 8 again because that is one of my favorite Passages of Scriptures, Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, towards the end of that chapter, in verse 31, Paul writes this, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And that's over in Psalms 44. He goes on to say, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present or things to come nor height or depth nor any other created thing shall be uh, able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you have the assurity of an inheritance that's through Christ Jesus your Lord this morning? See, if you can't be happy knowing that, either the bell's broke or you don't know my Jesus. You see, because God, when you were yet in trespasses and sin, sent his son to die upon a cross for you. And this morning my question to you is this. Does your life show 
that you have come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you fall on your face at night, or even on Sundays at this altar, and pray for those you know that are lost? Are you so content where you are, you've forgotten those who aren't there? Does your heart ache for a loved one, a family member, a neighbor that needs to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? It's the love of God flowing out through your hands and your feet and your mouth every day. You see, because it's not good enough to be labeled a Christian. You must be as Christ. And Christ went to the poorest of the poor, the most destitute of the destitute, the lost of the lost, to show the love of God. We should be no different. We should be no different. Pray with me this morning. Most gracious Heavenly Father, today I've opened your word, and I have preached that which you have laid upon my heart. Now, Father, I place this congregation in your hands. And I ask this first. If there be one here that does not know your Son as their Lord and Savior, I beg you this morning, Father, give them the faith to believe. To believe in your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that died upon a cross for their sins, was raised from the grave, that they too may one day spend eternity with you in heaven. Give them that faith to believe this morning. Then for those that are your children, Father, that look at their lives and say, you know, I haven't been real happy. I haven't been patient. I'm not content where I'm at. I've just not been living that life like I should. This morning, you draw them to your altar to fall upon their face and ask for forgiveness, knowing that you will give that forgiveness and you will change those things in their heart. And then this morning, Father, for those that have been faithful, those that have faithfully done that which you have called them to do, today, give them joy. Give them joy that wells up from the salvation in their hearts and the truth of the knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. Let their light so shine that this lost and dying world can see it and come too to know your Son, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. This morning, Father, you work as you see fit, for your will is perfect. Today, glorify yourself. All this we ask in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The invitation goes like this. Maybe this morning you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe today you have no idea what it means to have a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You come forward. I'll be glad to explain to you how that works. It's really simple. It's understanding that you're a sinner, that you're lost and headed to hell, and there's only one way out of that, and that's through a person called Jesus Christ and a personal relationship with that person. God gives you the faith to believe. All you must do is receive. You receive that gift of salvation, and Jesus is yours. Maybe this morning you don't have a church home and you're looking for one. We'd love to have you. We can use all the workers we could get. We'd love to have you come be a part. Come join us. Maybe this morning you have on your heart someone that you know that needs Jesus. The altar's open. You come fall on your face before God, and you beg him to give them the faith to believe, knowing that when you ask that, chances are he's going to send you with the message. But you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. This morning you respond as God works in your heart. Stand with us as we sing hymn number 487. Stand with us as we sing this morning. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. 
We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.